Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Last week we were in the park. Um, it was such a great opportunity to, to um, worship together as churches, uh, to show that we are united as, as churches re- regarding Jesus Christ being our Lord and Savior. Uh, our worship might look different. Our servants might sound different. Um, our people um, might approach their worship differently, but we have the same Savior. Uh, and I'm thankful that, that we have churches in Ladner, and we're seeing more and more of it, that, that's partnering together to spread the gospel and share the gospel. I want to thank all of you who were there. Thank you for coming out and, and sharing Christ with our community. Um, we definitely made an impact. I want you to know that, that the life that we shared, it made an impact on people's lives. And we're going to look for more opportunities like that to do that throughout the summer. We are in our series called Elisha. Um, well, it's not a, the series is not called Elisha. The, the guy we're talking about, his name is Elisha. And um, originally I was planning just to preach one message on Elisha, the prophet Elisha. And then the more I started reading about him, the more I'm like, I think this week might be the last week, but there's a very big chance that it's not. So, so we'll see how it goes. Um, because... Man, there's so much truth. Um, the, the Old Testament, for those of you who don't know, the Bible's divided in New Testament, Old Testament. The Old Testament speaks of that which is to come, the Messiah, Christ. So in reality, the, the way I always like to put it is that if you, you have a shadow, the Old Testament is the shadow of the substance. Um, it, is, it is like an outline of the one that is to come, Jesus Christ. It's, it's, we can look at the shadow and we can trace it and we can see, ah, that's the image of Christ that we are looking at. It's not Christ, it's just an image of him, which means there is a tremendous amount that we can learn from the shadow that points us towards the Savior. We never just want to stay in the old. We don't want to stay at the shadow. We want to get to the substance. We, we want to get to Christ. We want to get to Jesus as much as we can. So looking at Elisha, the purpose of looking at him is because he, he, there's so, so many shadows of Christ in his life and what he represents and who he is. And there's so much that we can learn from him so that we can have a greater relationship with Jesus where we are today. Now, I've said this before, the, the Bible is like a roadmap for us. It, it gives us like, like there's, there's pinpoints, it gives us destinations to help us navigate life and not just for the purpose so so that we can be morbid Christians, but actually so that we can be people who represent the life of Christ to people around us and so that we can have an amazing life. Life is amazing with God in it. When you are in the right place and God is there, doesn't matter how hard it is where you are in, if He's there, that's the best place to be. There's life there, even if it's hard. Now, some of the directions we find in the Bible, I think you guys can agree on. Some of them are very clear. Don't kill. Right? It's it's clear. Um, Honor your parents. Have the kids left. Should have used that one earlier. Um, Yeah, honor your parents. Very clear. Honor them. There's a promise connected to it. Your days will be extended. Honor your parents. Some of the instructions are very clear. And easy to follow. Well, kind of. Some of, some of the Bible, some parts of the Bible, we don't understand. There are parts of it that we read. Okay, seriously, okay, so I don't think this should, every hand should go up. Have you ever read the Bible and after you've read it, you've gone, I have no idea what I just read. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, I like, clueless, I've got no idea what I just read. This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. There's no, they, there are parts of the Bible that's like that. So, so today, we're going to look at one of those, those um, if you read 2 Kings, there's parts in 2 Kings that makes no sense. There are parts of it where, where you're going like, I've got, this is so confusing. Because I just read something else over there and now over the, the, this doesn't make sense. So today is like a puzzle building day. How many of you like building puzzles? Yeah. Good. So... Last week, we looked at Naaman. 
Naaman. What's his name? Naaman. Yeah, remember Naaman. Naaman was a good guy, right? Great guy. I mean, he was honored. He was loved. He was respected. He was a general in the army. People like looked at him and they go, there's Naaman. Right? They, they knew who he was. But what was Naaman's problem? He was a leper. Very good. Yes, you can see who was here. So, so, so Naaman was a leper and he was a general in the Syrian army. In those days, the kingdom that they lived in, the area that they lived in was divided into two groups, Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. Naaman was a general of the Assyrians and, and the kingdom that he lived in is, is modern day in Syria. That, that's where he was a general from. The Northern Kingdom was, was the Christian kingdom. The Israelites, well, Christian, Israelites, Jewish kingdom, not Christian, Jewish kingdom. And this, this area was divided into two specific areas. So, so as we remember from last week, Naaman, even though he was this great, highly respected man and a general in the army, he had this disease called leprosy that, that is a terrible way to die. And there was, it was incurable. You couldn't cure it. There was no way. If you had it, you are destined for death. And it's not a pretty one. It's, it's an ugly death. But Naaman also had a little servant girl that worked in his house. And this little servant girl came to, to her master's wife, Naaman's wife, and said to her, listen, there's a man in the other kingdom. And this man is a prophet. And what does the word prophet mean? Speak the word of God. Who said that? Omri, look at you. <laughs> Okay, next, next card. Go to the next card. <laughs> no, she had that all by herself. So, so Naaman, Naaman goes to Elisha, who is the prophet, which is, he speaks the word of God. He represents the word of God. So Naaman goes to him um, eventually. And, and as he shows up at the word of God, Elisha is going to speak over him. Elisha doesn't even come out of his room. All he does is he sends a messenger. He sends a servant, a servant of the word. Hey, you go and tell Naaman. All he has to do is go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan, which Naaman was first, he was very upset about it. And he was like, yes, how does this guy not even come to the door? Uh, Elisha never did some great act in front of me to try and, ooh, ooh, right, get, get the, the, you know, spirit fingers um, over the sores or the scars or anything like that. He did none of that. He just sends a messenger, very offended by it. Sidebar, I truly believe, this is how I feel. God's miracle working power should be. It should be as simple as the word said it. We are servants, communicate it. That settles it. I, I really believe that there should be less focus on the person sharing the word and more focus on the one who is the healer. Let's focus on show and showcase and, uh, uh, you know, all this stuff and, and more focus on God is the one who heals. It's by faith in His Word. When we respond and react to His Word, that's where the miracle happens, not in the person delivering it. Not saying it's always like that because I, I know sometimes, you know, it's different. I've... I've seen people get, get healing and receive miracles in different ways, but I just feel more focused on God and less focused on the person praying. That's how I see Jesus did things. When I look at Jesus, I, Jesus never put up a show for the purpose to impress people. He never did. I can't find an example of that. Okay, everybody, watch my hands. Like America's Got Talent, right? Let's do a miracle. Everybody's going to watch. Okay, keep your eyes on my hands. Never did that. Spoke, done. Miracles happened because they were obedient to the word. So, back to Gehazi. So Gehazi, Gehazi. That's in Afrikaans. That's how you say it in Afrikaans and in Hebrew. 
So, yeah, there you go. So Gehazi, now it seems more legitimate because it sounds like it's Hebrew. So Gehazi, uh, he gives Naaman the word from Elisha. Gehazi is Elisha's servant. Elisha instructed Naaman how he's going to get healed, dip yourself seven times. Reminder again, the prophet represents the word of God. We have the word. We have the word of God. We have the Word. And what we have even more than just the written Word, that's the Bible is, we have the relationship in the Holy Spirit that's, that's with us, that gives us instruction on how the Word is to become alive in us so that we can have deliverance, so that we can have breakthrough, so, so that we can have the purposes and the plans that God have, has for us. We have that same Word. You have access to it, every single one of you. You have it. But here's the key. You have to follow it. Doesn't matter if you get the word, but you don't do anything about it or you don't respond to it. And, and same with Naaman. I am so sure that if I was Naaman and I'm like, okay, I've got leprosy, dip yourself seven times. What would your thought process be in this? Okay, seven times. Every time I go under and I come back up, there's probably going to be a little less. Is it, that, would you think that? Okay, I'm going to go down, come back up. Okay, leprosy. Oh, my hands are all clean. Look at that. I'm going to do it again. Go back down. Oh, my arms are all clean. Oh, I'm going to do it again. That's like Mufasa. Like, say it again. <laughs> right, I'm going to go down again. It's going to be amazing. Every time I come up, oh, my legs are clean. My face is restored. The sixth time, oh, even my eyeballs are back. And I can actually see, and I should have, that should have been the first one. So I can see properly, right? So, so everything is back into place where it's supposed to be. And by the seventh one, my hair grows back. Hallelujah. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I heard a guy say this week, he's convinced that, that men's hair don't fall out. It's not like they fall out. They grow in and grow out somewhere else. It's not like they, because they suddenly there's hair where they never used to be hair. It has to come from somewhere. Anyway, that's a completely separate point. Now that you have that revelation, pray for the direction of your hair where you <laughs> just direct, like direct your prayer. But, but, but here's the thing. Is, is we think that it would have been easy. Can you imagine being that man taking those steps of obedience? Based on what? The word. Steps of obedience. Okay, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to persist in this. I'm going to stay obedient up to the point that he said I'm supposed to stay obedient. Most of us, we step out in faith in God's word. We start applying it. Yeah, I'm applying God's Word day one, really good. Applying God's Word day two, even for a month. And then I'm like, yeah, I was thinking uh, the stuff should have been a little bit different by now. God's Word's probably not working. God's Word always works. Always, always. We have to stay obedient and keep following it. So the leprosy, um, he got healed from it. Naaman dips himself seven times. Super happy, returns to Elisha, shows up at Elisha's place and he wants to give Elisha money. And he says, listen, Elisha, uh, here's some clothes. I've got silver, I've got gold, millions worth millions today in today's currency. Got, because what you've done for me, you've restored life back to me. I wanna pay you for everything you've done. Elisha, here's money, here's resources. And Elisha says the following, verse 16. Elisha turns him down. He says, I can't take your money. I can't take your clothes. He says, it's not about the money. It's not about the clothes. That's not what it's about. And Haman says, okay, if you don't want the money, um, can I ask you, I want to take dirt from this area where we are right now. I want to take it back with me to our kingdom because I want to build an altar for the only God that exists. Your God. I want to build an altar and I only want to worship Him. Man, that is, that is the purpose of the miracle is to transform lives, right? To show that God is real. So great story. Isn't that a great story? Don't you love that story? It's not done yet. It's not done yet. Oh, it just gets better. So after this happened, Gehazi, uh, um, the next in line to be, now Gehazi, that's the same guy, um, 
the next in line. So Gehazi, he's not just a servant of Elisha. I want you to understand. Remember how Elisha was Elijah's servant? Gehazi is Elisha's servant. This guy is the next in line. He gets to share in all the miracles that God does through Elisha. So man, he's got an incredible opportunity in front of him. So Gehazi next in line, um, he watches. He watches everything Elisha's doing. He does work. He, he delivers the word. He sees the miracle. He's part of this miracle. Okay, now this is the title for today. Our choices matter. Your choices, they matter. And we're going to learn from his life how much your choices matter. I don't know how many of you know the rest of the story. Uh, Deuteronomy, just this scripture, just to, again, I love the scripture. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as a witness against you, that I have set before you life and death. It's set before you. Before you, God says, I call the heavens and the earth to testify against you. That one day when you die and when you stand in front of me, you cannot say, God, I had no choice. He said, I've called the heavens and the earth as witnesses. They will testify. You either chose life or you chose death. That's a powerful scripture. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Our choices, they matter. What you choose matters. We have to be so careful. And this is where, the, where I think many of us, this is where we get confused. Where, where we have to choose between opportunity or is a temptation, a distraction. Is this the opportunity that God wants me to step into? Is this, is this the opportunity that God has in front of me? This door that's right there now. Is this an opportunity door or is this a temptation, a distraction door? And that's hard sometimes to figure out. Anybody else, can, can you identify with, with the fact of, man, is this God's opportunity? Or am I tempted by stuff? Gehazi sees this opportunity. He sees Elisha turn down the money and the clothes and the gold and the silver. And he thinks what I think most of us would think if we were the servant that was standing there. Elisha, are you crazy? Do you know how much we can do for the kingdom with that? Do you know how much we can do for the church with that? Do you know how much we can do for our environment with everything that he just promised us? Are you crazy? You know how much I can do with that? You just healed this man. He offered you over... He offered you millions and you said no. So when Naaman leaves, Gehazi goes after him in verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God said, look, so he runs after Naaman. He said, look, my master has spared Naaman from uh, the Syrian while not receiving from his hand what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. There's an opportunity. I'm gonna run after it. I'm gonna run after that opportunity. Is it an opportunity or is it a temptation? So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from his chariot to meet him and said, is all well? And he said, all is well. My master <laughs> sent me saying, indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets, two seminary students, two Bible school students, Two international Bible school students from poor countries that have no parents and no income just showed up. That's basically what he's saying. I've come to, to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, please take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver to, in, in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants and they carried them on ahead of him. When they came to the citadel, he took them down from their hands and he stored them away in the house. Then he let the men go and they departed. So these students that showed up, they need money, no problem. Two servants, 
put the money on, take it to his house. He takes the money at the house. He, he hides it away, puts it away. Now, then he went and he stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, where did you go, Gehazi? Now, now, who's Elisha again? What does he represent? The Word of God. So, so he's gone off, taking this opportunity, taking the riches of it, taking some money, quickly hit it away, and then he came and stood in front of the Word again. As if nothing's happened. He said, where have you gone, Gehazi? Now, I want to say to all of you, that right there, that was his moment of grace where he could have come clean. And he said, your servant did not go anywhere. I didn't depart. I didn't go anywhere. Then he said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from the chariots to meet you? I'm convinced Elisha right there was a mother. She's like, I might not go with you, but I know everything you're doing. <laughs> right? All moms are like that. My mom was like that, man. There's nothing we could have could hide away from him. Uh, so now what I find interesting is that Gehazi should have known the man of God that represents the Word of God. He should have known the Word of God cannot be fooled. The same for us. You should know. Please listen to that. Just look at me. If I've lost you, you're somewhere. Please hear me. You cannot fool the Word of God. Your opinions, your likes or dislikes, really, they are irrelevant. You cannot fool the Word of God. The Word of God cannot be tricked. To think that, I, oh, I was obedient to the Word, cannot be tricked. We can't fool it. This is like us. We think we trick the word. Just make some tweaks here. And then justify it by, well, that is my opinion of the scripture. Listen, the word of God really does not care about your opinions of it. It is the truth. It doesn't change. You can't outsmart it. So Elisha goes on. He says, uh, and this is, this is the key part. You have to get this. Oh, I'm, I'm going to get through all of this. He goes on. He says, is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? I want you to hear what Elisha asks him. It doesn't say to, say to, to Gehazi, you shouldn't get this. He never says to him, you should not have gold and money and silver and oxen and servants. He doesn't say, Gehazi, it's wrong for you to have gold and money and servants and oxen. He says, is it time? Is it time? Is it time? Is it time? Like even with opportunities and temptations, it's like one of those, those questions we can constantly ask God. God, is it time? Am I stepping into this and, and, and it's like this generation and this world that we live in, we want everything instant and fast and quick and right now. And I want to see it change. I want like we want promotion after promotion. And, and the question we should ask ourselves, sometimes there might be, and we, this is so contrary to the world, where we actually have to go, you know what? I know you wanted to promote me right now, but man, my relationship with my father, he's given me the guidance to say, it's not time. It's not time. The question is, is it time? And then he goes on, he says, therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous, as white as snow. The Bible calls this the sin of covetousness. Covetousness. Covetousness is desiring and plotting to take something that is not yours to have. Or something that is not yours to have yet. Another way to put it in modern day terms, debt. I just made that up. That is actually really good. It's not yours to have yet, but I can charge it. Right? How many of us get stuck with leprosy? It's the death of us. 
because it's not time yet. Elisha sent me, this is what Gehazi said, Elisha sent me, God, didn't, and th- this is the, the challenge that I have for every one of us. Gehazi's response to Naaman was, Elisha, sent, Elisha didn't send him anywhere. And then he says, and he uses God's name also, Elisha and the God whom I serve. But if you look at Elisha, Elisha adds one more phrase to the Lord who I serve. Elisha says the following, Lord who I serve and before whom I stand, which means there's an accountability. What is the accountability for us? The word is our standard. It is, it is our level. It's our plumb line for accountability. It's like when, when you build, you've got that blue chalk line and, and you mark it, you make sure it's level and you pull it back and you shoot it. You can take the line away and then suddenly there's a plumb line and that plumb line for us is the standard of truth. And we are accountable to that standard of truth. Am I living because you can live in greater access, double portion above the truth in the truth? Or am I living underneath the truth, which means that I'm going to lack? So Elijah says, before I stand before God, I'm accountable to God. Um, And I really believe that Gehazi, and this is the the trouble for many of us, when opportunities and or temptation comes, we have to figure out which one. Opportunity, God is for opportunities. I want you to hear me. God creates opportunities, but we have to be wise to distinguish, is this an opportunity or is this a temptation? And what we have to do in those moments when we are in doubt is we have to go to the place of the Lord before whom I stand. My accountability has to remain Him. God, I'm accountable for you. Am I chasing this out of time? Am I running ahead? Or am I in your pace where you want me to be because it's the best place to be? I want you to see the consequence. The consequence of um, Gehazi's decisions. Number one, leprosy, personal curse. And it was incurable and irreversible, which we figured out and heard from Naaman. Like those people who are condemned to die. The second part um, of this curse is in Leviticus 13, chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. It says, when you get leprosy, you now have to move outside the camp and live by the gates. Because it was contagious. Separation, death, consequence for wrong decisions. Your choices matter. It's irreversible. It's incurable. And this probably for me is the saddest part of this is that it says your descendants, not just for you, the choices you are making, it's not just influencing your life, it's influencing those to come. You are a leper, no solution. And what this meant was for Gehazi's three sons, They will become lepers also. They will die also. They have to move to the city gates outside. Nobody can be in contact with them. And this is the part which is, it will never change. Okay, now, ready, here we go. Let's fast forward. We have today's message. Chapter 8, verse 1. Okay, chapter 8, verse 1. Now, we're going to start building puzzles. Okay, everybody ready? So we have Naaman, leprosy healed. Gehazi chases after, curse on him. Elisha says, okay, you're not standing in front of accountability. You need to be accountable to the word. Make sure that the word keeps you accountable. You didn't do that. It wasn't time yet. Everybody still with me? Good. Chapter eight. This was chapter five and six. Okay. Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life saying, arise and go, you and your household and stay wherever you can for the Lord has called for a famine and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. Okay, there's a woman, Elisha prayed for a son. A son was dead. He was restored back to life. Elisha says to this woman, you and your household, listen, there's a famine coming. It's going to last for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God. And she went with her household and dealt and dwelt in the land of the Philistines for seven years. At the end of the seven years, the woman returned from the land of the Philistines and she went to appeal to the king for her house and for her field. Now, 
the king was talking with Gehazi. Gehazi. The king is talking with Gehazi. The servant of the man of God. Saying, please, relate to me all the great things that Elisha has done. And he was relating to the king how he had restored to life the one who was dead. And behold, the woman whose son has restored to life appeared to the king for her house and for the field. So while Gehazi, the leper, is talking to the king about everything Elisha has done, he tells him a story of how Elisha prayed for a dead boy. He came back to life. And while he's telling him the story, the woman whose son was restored shows up in the castle. And then it goes on and says, And Gehazi said, Oh my Lord, O king, this is the woman. This is her son whom Elisha restored to life. When the king asked the woman, she related to him. Okay, got a question. What in the world is Gehazi doing in the palace? He is a leper. Remember Leviticus 13 says that if you have leprosy, you have to be removed from the community. You have to live by the city gates and you cannot be in contact with anybody because you are contagious and you will cause them to die. If this rule applied to anybody, it would have applied even more to the king. We cannot have a leper stand in the king's palace. Why is he there? And not only is he talking to the king, he is the liaison between Elisha and the king. He now has a job. He has two jobs. Because he's still called the servant of Elisha. So he's standing between Elisha and the king. Yet, from what we read Earlier, he's been condemned with leprosy to be outside the city. He has skin white as snow. Remember, he left Elisha's presence with skin white as snow with leprosy. One of the things um, that you will find when you come to visit our home and when you go to Halta and Saki side is on the dining room table, you will always find a puzzle, like big puzzles. They love building puzzles. Saki, every, every um, um, four hours when I give him a break from hard labor, he gets five minutes. Um, he, he goes and bends over and builds puzzles. Thousand piece puzzles. Love doing it. I love taking two pieces. I do. It brings me joy to see them struggle, to find that one piece. They go over all their boards, over and everybody's looking. Even uh, <laughs> um, Jen is in there. Jen is looking everywhere and Halta and Ermri and the kids and I'll have the little piece in my pocket. I know it's mean. Thank you. So, but today, we're building a puzzle here. Because just looking at the story doesn't make sense. It's like we've got a box full of pieces that we can shake and we know we're supposed to get an image out of this, but right now it, the image that we're getting seems confusing. It seems contradiction, like there's contradiction in it. It's in my pocket. So, so what we see over here is we see suddenly enter a woman, a woman whose son has been raised from the dead. We told a few verses earlier in chapter 8 that this woman was a Shumite woman. She had a son. Um, Elisha raised him. Um, seven years later, seven years later, she shows up after Elisha raised the son. So it's not even on the same day. It's like seven years ago, suddenly she shows up. What happened in the seven years between Elisha raising this boy Gehazi's leprosy and seven years of now Gehazi's in the king's presence. What, what happened in that gap? Well, we read in chapter six, it says there was a famine. 
So, so here are pieces of the puzzle. Let's see what we've got. Um, there was a great famine in Samaria. Puzzle piece. We've got a leper who appears to no longer be a leper. Another puzzle piece. We got a woman whose son was raised. We got a prophet. I said we've got a famine. Okay, so how do all these pieces of, of prophet, leper, leper, no leper, king, how do they all fit together? And how do we find Jesus in this? How do we look at this shadow of what we're seeing and, and experience Jesus in person? Okay, so let's look at that seven-year gap because I do think a big part of this puzzle piece we are going to find in, in what, what happened in the seven years. So chapter seven, so we've gone from chapter five, six, eight, now we're in chapter seven. So in chapter seven, verse three, now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate and they said to one another, why do we sit here until we die? In other words, we're in a hopeless situation. We have leprosy. We're outside of the city. Uh, we can enter in because the law says that we have to stay outside. But even if we go to the city, there is a famine in the city. There is also an army, the Armenians, and they are withholding food from the city. So not only is there no food, there is another, another army that's withholding all the resources so that the food can't go in. This is the situation we're in. So say if we go to the city, it's not going to matter because the city has no food. If we stay at the gates, it's not going to matter because there's no food at the gate and we have leprosy, we're going to die. Go to the city, we have leprosy, we're going to die. Now, therefore, since we're going to die anyway, why don't we go to the camps of the Arameans? If they spare us and we live, so be it. Because we're going to die anyway. So they arise at twilight and they go into the camp because the camp has food. Why go to the enemy's camp? The camp has food. The enemy of Israel, they're keeping the food from them. In verse six, for the Lord, now listen to what happened. So, so now these four lepers, they're talking. Listen, okay, we can't go to the city. There's a famine there. We're gonna die. If we stay here, we're gonna die. There's no food here. Only place we can go, let's go to, to our enemy. If we go there, the worst they can do to us is kill us, right? But at least they have food. So the fort, get up, walk towards the Arameans. Verse six, now this is what happened. For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses, even the sound of a great army. This is four lepers walking, right? This is what's so awesome. So they said to one another, behold, the king of Israel has hired against us kings of the Hittites and kings of the Egyptians, to come against us. Therefore, they arose and they fled in twilight. And this is what I hope that you understand. When we take a chance to step out and follow God, walk towards life, what they did is they discovered that God has already, He's already erased the problem that was in front of them. If we stayed outside and done nothing, they would have discovered nothing. But because they, they got up and did something, I, I hope if, if you are here today and, and you might be sitting with a disease that feels like it's incurable, it feels like it's been there for generations and generations and generations and nobody can get rid of it. You, you might feel like this is an impossible thing. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. It's incurable. I can't get out of this. I want to encourage you again, doesn't matter how desperate your situation is, when you start moving towards life, man, you'll see that God has already prepared a way for you to receive life. It says in, in verse 8, then the lepers came and they entered the tent. Tent means the camp where the, the armies were. And they ate and they drank and they carried from their silver and gold and clothes. Watch the three things they carried from there. Silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them. Elijah, Gehazi had two servants bring with them silver and clothes. And what did he do with it? He hid it. 
and, and, and they hid it. And they returned and they entered another tent and carried from there also and went and hit them again. And then in verse 9, they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go tell the king's household. Okay, rewind. Somebody make a rewind noise, like of a tape deck. Can you remember how it goes? Yeah, thank you very much. That was really good. Um, rewind. Gehazi took that which was not his to take. And Elisha said to him, is it time for you to have silver, gold, and clothes? This and that and the other. He said, it's not wrong that you wanted it. It's just that you wanted it in the wrong time. Whenever you, you have to connive or scheme to get something God has not given you yet, it's not because it's wrong or God doesn't necessarily want you to have it. It's just we have to be patient and understand God's timing is what we have to stay in and go after. If you've got to manipulate to make it, then what you have done is you've misused the time. But now, I want you to see this. This table has been laid out because God has gone before them. He's cleared the camp out. So now there's all this stuff. There's all these things that he wanted, he chased after before. And then one of them pipes up and said, well, Let's not just keep this all for ourselves. Let's not just hide this. Let's not just put it away. Been there, done that. I can't even wear a t-shirt anymore. I have no arms. This is Gehazi and his sons. These are the four men from the city gate. Now, when you are a leper, he said to him, you will be a leper and your descendants. We have to connect chapter 5 and chapter 8. These chapters are connected. Because how does a man with leprosy, who's a servant of Elisha, stand in the presence of a king? Now, some theologians who haven't taken the time to study it say that they put the chapters in the wrong order. No, you're wrong. The chapters are in the right order. We have to compare Scripture with Scripture. There is a timeline that runs out here. So what's the point? What's the point? And this, this is what I hope that you're going to get today. Over and over again in chapter 8, it uses the following phrase. It says seven years, seven years, seven years, seven years, seven years, and seven years later, and seven years, and seven years. Seven years is a time of what? Completion. Let me give you another word for seven years. In Elisha's or in Gehazi's time, the word is retest. Retest. A retest is when, when God creates the same situation, similar situation, and it's called a retest. I loved retests in school for the other kids' purposes. No. Because what happens is I knew I messed up in this one. But a retest, what a retest will do, it won't change the first result. But it gives me hope for tomorrow. Notice it's the same situation. It gives them a retest. If you are in an un- or irreversible situation, you ask God for a retest. Lord, give me another opportunity to take this exam again. Lord, give me another opportunity. Give me another opportunity to fight for my marriage. It seems like it's, uh, it's leprous. It's dead. It's a disease. But God, give me another opportunity. 
Give me a retest for my marriage. Give me a retest for my finances, Father, because there is clear instruction in your word regarding finance. Give me a retest because I failed. And right now my home is at the city gates where there's leprosy. Father, give me a retest for the relationships I have. Give me a retest for the love I'm supposed to show towards my neighbors. Give me a retest for how I parent my children. Father, in completion, I know it's seven years. Father, bring a retest because I want, and my retest is I'm going to study the word and I'm going to act according to what the word says in those situations. Give me a retest. And this is the, the part that is so amazing. It goes on, it says, while Elisha prophesies at the end of the seven years that the drought's getting ready to end, the officer of the king says, that's not going to happen. So now it's getting to the end of the seven years. Elisha prophesies, he says, listen, this drought, this famine that we're in, it's gonna end. And then an officer of the king, the one, the liaison, the one that stands next to the king as his advisor says to Elisha, you're wrong. What does Elisha represent? The Word of God. So you have an advisor that points at the Word and says, the Word's wrong. Now, watch this. So Elijah tells him in chapter 7, look, not only is this famine coming to an end, you are going to see it, but you are not going to have the benefit of it. And this is God's word saying to us, listen, not only is the word of God true and it will bring forth what it says it will bring forth, you are going to see it in the lives of the people who apply it, but you will have no benefit of it. You're gonna see it in the lives of those who decide, yeah, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step up and take God's word as my truth. Now look at the end of chapter seven, verse 17. Now the king appointed the royal officer on whose hands he, he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled on him at the gate and he died, just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. And it happened to him, the people trampled on him, exactly like the word of God spoke. And when we come to chapter eight, Gehazi, he's talking to the king because there was a new job opening that happened at the end of chapter seven. He's now the king's right-hand man, but he's also still the servant of Elisha. And so the king is leaning on a former leper. The king, listen, a leper is what? A situation, a circumstance, a life thing that you are in that are at the city gates and it is dying or really close to death. I want you to see how God restored that thing that you think is irreversible, impossible to change for generations to come. This will be who we are. I want you to see how God not only just, oh, okay, he's going to live, but he restored him into a place of authority where now he's standing in front of the king. And do you know what his rewards are in front of the king? Gold, silver, and clothes. Why? Because it was the right time. Man, that's an amazing story. Have you ever felt like, um, Dave, you guys can come up. Bish. Have you ever felt like you're running out of options? You know, your, your get up and go has gotten up and gone. <laughs> Have you ever felt like, you know, all I need to do is just get up and go for it. And you're like, yes, I've tried that so many times. It's gone. Where like you're in a dark tunnel and the only light you are seeing is like the train that's heading straight for you. Have you ever experienced that? Hope is gone. And, and you might be here today where, where you are the one that's saying, I'm throwing in the towel. And please hear me, it doesn't just have to be the desperate of the most desperate situations. It can just be that little side road that you've taken where you know I'm on the wrong path. But it seems hopeless because of one bad decision. I've got great news for you. In spite of how bad it looks, in spite of how bad you were in your past, 
to bring you to this point where it is at now. In spite of the sins or the mistakes, in spite of your failures, in spite of your rebellion. Right now, you don't even know how to spell the word hope. And it feels hopeless. This morning, I want to say to you, you have set yourself up for a reversal. You've been set up for a reversal. God has a boomerang principle. You know what a boomerang is, right? You throw it, it goes out with a curve and it comes back again. God's got this boomerang um, principle that I love for His children. When it looks like it's going way out there, God has a way to bring things back and restore life. And I want to say again, I know right now it might look like there's no hope. I've got no hope. There's no hope left. I know it looks like like a friend of, of Anjo that he plays hockey with, 16-year-old boy last week committed suicide. It's because people feel there's no hope. They look at it and they go, they, they've listened so much to an enemy that's telling them that, that it's hopeless. I want you to hear that there wasn't a guy that was in a more hopeless situation than Gehazi. But because he responded to God's word, God not only restored, but he promoted. What seems impossible for you is possible for our God. If you are still here, and if you're still alive, which most of you are, hopefully all, if you're still breathing, go for the return. Your decision. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church Audio Podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the Word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.